Ladies and gentlemen, Stu Breyer. Welcome back to our program. Always a pleasure to have my buddy Faye Ringel on. It's Halloween time, and sometimes she uh, calls in with some really fine stories. <laughs> Hi, Faye. Hi. Faye, it's so, uh, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, sure. You have one of the great radio voices. Did you know that? Oh, how could it compare to yours? Oh, aren't you kind? Listen, well, I, you, uh, I know you're very involved in the theater. Have you? Uh, are you a singer, too? Oh, yes. Yes, I'm a singer. That's good. So uh, you've been in some of the shows? Yeah, in the past, although I've done more directing and piano playing than I have done uh, mm-hmm. on stage myself. <laughs> well, before we get into a couple of scary stories, I don't think anybody anything could be as scary as the news, but um, you've got some interesting stories that I, I think the uh, listeners would appreciate uh, hearing some of the folklore, etc. But uh, as far as the theater in uh, the Norwich community, tell us what's in the coming attractions. Well, I'm at the Norwich Arts Center's Donald L. Oat Theater, which is downtown. On um, Many people know it as across from Billy Wilson's and near City Hall. We have coming up a, a wonderful cabaret performance a week from Friday, that is Friday, November 3rd, called uh, uh, Michelle Rollins Sings the Songs of Ella Fitzgerald, the Ooh, First Lady really? of Song. Mm. Uh, and Michelle Rollins is a great local singer and actress who has portrayed Ella Fitzgerald before, and she's going to be, uh, you know, telling people about the the amazing career of Ella Fitzgerald and uh, singing a lot of her jazz standards, backed by a great a four piece jazz band. That's great. I'm a big fan of Ella Fitzgerald, and uh, I'm sure that well, she's uh, played that role uh, uh, a lot and uh, can really do it justice. She's a fine singer, right? Yes, absolutely. I'm sorry that you're going to be on vacation, I think, mm-hmm. then, and missing it. But um, uh, it's, uh, you know, of course, we the, the public is welcome. It's Friday, November 3rd at 8 p.m., and it's in the Miss Lottie's Cafe series, our series that honors our founder, Miss Lottie Scott. Yeah, Lottie Scott, one of the first person uh, people I met when I came into the area. So she certainly deserves to. Really? Oh, yeah. Knew Lottie for a number and number of years. So that's a good one. Definitely Ella Fitzgerald songs and the story of Ella Fitzgerald. I've seen a documentary about it. It's a fascinating story. So I hope people check that out. And then for the whole family, we're looking forward to our big holiday show that uh, starts uh, December 8th, runs the weekends of uh, December 8th to 10th and 15th to 17th. It's um, a Christmas panto, which is that British entertainment that we brought to Norwich first in 2017 Mm -hmm. that uh, takes a a fairy tale and... uh, you know, updates it, plays with it, adds local humor and lots and lots of audience participation. You get to uh, boo the villains and and uh, uh, yay the, the the good fairies and the bad guy and uh, the uh, uh, make fun of the evil stepsisters. Yeah. And so yes, we're doing Cinderella, Cinderella at the Christmas ball. It's called. Oh, marvelous! And uh, no pumpkins allowed, or everybody's allowed to go in there. 
Everybody's allowed. We, uh, in fact, children under ten are free, completely free, mm-hmm. and the uh, ticket prices are reasonable, sort of uh, comparable to uh, to a movie. And it's all a large cast, including uh, from all over the area, including many children. And there will be uh, a surprise visitor, we hope, at the end for everyone, and the chance to. Uh, uh, to tell your your wishes to Santa's helper, uh, and I, I mean I'm prejudiced because I'm the co-author, but I think it's going to be fun for everyone. You're the co-author of of the satirical. Uh, yes, of, of Cinderella. Oh, good for you. Ball. Yeah, the Christmas ball, ladies and gentlemen. You don't want to miss it. Before you know it, it's going to be December. So, I know. Uh, I know. It's the best way to get information on the uh, theater and tickets. Uh, people can call any time and get updated. Yeah, our website is norwicharts.org, and it's all there. Mm-hmm. Simple enough. Yeah. And so let's let's move back a couple of centuries. <laughs> also, uh, sometimes people forget what we have, and through the years we've had some pretty darn good shows, huh? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing. People still walk in and go, wow, I had no idea this was here. I know, well, that's why we need to have you on a lot. The uh, the organization, of which I was also one of the founders, has been going for 37 years, nearly, mm-hmm. and and people are still saying, you know, how long have you been here? Well, please always keep us posted uh Faye, because we want people to be sure not to miss these things. And I know people that have gone to some of the shows say, well, it's like I feel like I'm on Broadway in New York. Well, we'd like to think that. We have our Blues on Broadway series, which is mm-hmm. uh, is just that. It's becoming a finally well-known around the state among lovers of, of the, the traditional blues music, so as well as the current uh, you know, sort of more jazz and rock-oriented where do you find all these talented people? Well, we're lucky to have a uh, several volunteers who are very well connected with uh, both local and uh, nationally known acts. Ron Bates, who is our producer of uh, Blues on Broadway, in fact, is uh, goes to the national blues festivals, and uh, he was just inducted into the Connecticut's Blues Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So he's one of our, our uh, best volunteers who, who does this work. But we, we depend on our volunteers because we are an all-volunteer-run organization. Well, definitely keep us posted, you know, whether you email or call me, and uh, we want to be updated on all of this so people can enjoy uh, the wonderful shows that we have in our community. Sure. Thank you. That's, uh, I will. Now, there's another part of your personality, Faye, that I think many people might know about it, and that is you're an expert on some of the strange, ghostly things. Some of them may be rumors, folklore. Some of them people say maybe really happened. But do you personally yourself believe in ghosts? Well, I'd like to say I believe that we don't know enough about the what lies beyond the the five senses mm-hmm. right um, whether the phenomena are caused by survival after death and and people returning from the grave 
or they're caused by the, in fact, uh, extrasensory powers of human beings who are currently alive. I believe that there is something going on, and like the old X-Files used to say, I believe that the truth is out there. <laughs> Some people, when they, they think they've seen something, they say, oh, you're really out there, but maybe they really are seeing something. Yeah. Mm-hmm, exactly. So when you were little, uh, Faye, were you a big Halloween person? Oh, I certainly was. Growing up in Norwich, I loved it. Today, kids... You don't get driven around in cars and vans, and uh, kids even up to, you know, into middle school age are still going around with their parents. And, I mean, I I loved going out alone and just reveling in the, the spookiness of the evening. And, and I used to de- deliberately go to the houses, the old Victorian houses, that in those days were not in as good shape as most of them are today, and, because they looked like haunted houses to me. So when those days were, and when I, you know, same with me, everybody was very generous with their candies. We didn't get these miniature candies. We got the big, the big bars. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What about some of the outfits that you wore? Do you remember some of them when you went trick-or-treating? I do. In fact, one year I went as a Hershey bar. No kidding. <laughs> yes. A Hershey uh, bar. And one year, this was, I, I know exactly when it was, because it was in the, day, in the days of Sputnik and the first, um, the first U.S. rocket launches, and before John Glenn, even, um, I, I was a rocket. Well, you've always been kind of a rocket, you know? <laughs> Speeding around, helping people, doing some good things. So, yeah, it figures that, that you would be into some of these uh, ghostly stories the way you loved Halloween. Back in those days, yes. Oh, absolutely. I um, I read everything I could get my hands on in the way of spooky stories, and mm-hmm. then I grew up to study them and to write about them. And also, I've always loved Norwich local history, and I particularly loved the supernatural legends. So, uh, when I published my first book back in in the nineties. Uh, I had to say that uh, I had been collecting the material since I was about eight, nine years old. We're going to take a little break, Faye, if you will, and tell us about some of these legends. But don't scare us too much, all right? I'll try. All right. Faye Ringel is with us. So, Faye, when you were going trick-or-treating, did you do anything mischievous? Mischievous? No, No, I was a very good girl. All right. (laughs) You dressed up as a good girl. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the worst thing we ever did was the chalk, the chalk on a door. But uh, that was it. I was never into that. Some of the other kids were uh, hmm, a little over the top. So uh, where do these stories come from, all these folklore stories? Or, you know, they've been around for so long, one wonders sometimes if they were real or not. Well, um, it's really hard to know. I do know that uh, people in Norwich have been telling stories about Benedict Arnold mm-hmm. since he was a boy. He was notorious uh, even before he became a traitor, and he was talk about mischievous. He was uh, known when um, as uh, as a young man for for leading the the boy very young man a boy of. 
10 or 11, leading the, the boys of, of the neighborhood, not just at Halloween, but year-round in, in pranks and some really dangerous ones, like uh, uh, figuring out how to explode cannonballs. Or, oh, my goodness. Uh, mm, yeah. I feel the trend yeah. here. Uh, and then, of course, when he became a traitor and when he burned, led the the, uh, the burning of New London, uh, all kinds of stories began to be told. People uh, and some of them were written down, and that's what happens. The way that uh, uh, some folklore is is defined as something that's used used to be passed down by oral tradition, but we only know about it centuries later if someone happens to write it down. And luckily, Norwich had a uh, a local historian in Francis Manwaring Hawkins who wrote down a lot of these stories about Benedict Arnold. So Benedict lived in this community when he was little. He did. He was uh, uh, he was born here. The site of his house uh, can be still. There's a plaque there now on mm-hmm. Washington Street at the corner of Arnold Place. The house. Uh, that's another thing. The house burned down under somewhat mysterious circumstances in, in the 19th century, not before it had acquired a reputation as being haunted. So, Very interesting. Uh, so um, correct me if I'm wrong, but his mother is buried in the cemetery here. Is that correct? Yes. Hannah Waterman Arnold, uh, Benedict Arnold's mother, is buried in the uh, old Norwich Town ancient burial ground. Mm-hmm. And there's also a plaque there that tells her whole story. She died in 1859, long before her son became first a Revolutionary War hero and then a Revolutionary War traitor. And the legend is, now this legend is more recent. It hasn't been collected uh, before the 20th century, but sometime in the 20th century, people began saying that his ghost came to visit her grave on Halloween. And the story goes that at midnight, he appears on on a skeletal white horse, wearing the Continental Army uniform that he later gave up for the British redcoat, and comes to ask her forgiveness. I have heard that people actually uh, at midnight on that night really go to see if they can see him. Yeah, uh, but I would not recommend it because the police know about this this tradition and uh, they're really not enthusiastic about people being in that graveyard at midnight on Halloween. I can understand that for sure, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so I really, really recommend... This is um, Folklorists call this legend tripping Mm -hmm. and and it often does not end well. If anybody's seen the Blair Witch Project, that's an example of legend tripping. I did see part of that. Yeah, it was amazing, yeah. Yeah, the ghost of Benedict Arnold may not have any power to do anything, but the police do. All right, so so please don't go there, folks. (laughs) Of course, we all know that Houdini every Halloween was supposed to come back and say, hey, you know, I can get out of anything, but... I think people kind of gave up on that one. Yes, I don't. I don't think they uh, they're waiting for him to appear at a séance, and that's that's it's ironic because he spent most of his career debunking uh, fraudulent mediums. Mm-hmm. He uh, he really he wanted to believe. He so wanted to contact his his mother, and he was 
and it, it turned into a crusade with him to uh, to show that the mediums that he consulted were fakes and they were using the kinds of tricks that he knew how to do. Uh, one favorite story was uh, that he went to one medium who gave him this whole law, a letter from his mother, a written letter, uh, and uh, and Houdini said, "Oh, and when did she learn to write in English?" <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember as a kid waiting uh, after Halloween. Well, reading the news or hearing the news, did he come back? Just, no, no. A lot of people were there, but nothing happened. But you, you've, I think you've told me in the past about something with uh, vampires in the Griswold area that yes. people actually thought they were vampires. Yes. Uh, now, this is a case of... Uh, for many years, it was thought to be not just folklore, but complete fiction. But there, uh, since 1991, there's been physical evidence to back up this, this claim. There was a belief in the 18th through the end of the 19th century in many parts of New England, in parts of New York, in parts of Pennsylvania, that tuberculosis was caused by your dead relatives coming back from the grave and mm. sucking your life force, that is your breath, uh, not necessarily blood. Well, this belief was so strong in some people that they would exhume the bodies of those relatives who had died most recently, and if they thought they saw uh, that, that the body was more preserved than it should have been, they would burn the heart, the Amazing. lungs, maybe the whole body, wow. or they, they would uh, take other measures that uh, were supposed to keep that person from returning. So there are some uh, burial grounds in this area that uh, still have those bodies there? Or? Well, uh, as I said, most, mostly we do not dig up cemeteries no, to find, uh, don't to find do that. evidence. But back in 91... Um, what we do know is that all over New England, there were a whole lot of unmarked areas that were mm -hmm. burying grounds, and it happened that this one was abandoned, and uh, the uh, company that bought it to um, uh, extend a gravel pit kind of dug into the side of that uh, of the cemetery, and out bones started to roll. Okay. Um, yeah, and so the state archaeologist at the time, uh, Nick Bellantoni, was called in, and interestingly, it was just the time of our area serial killer, Michael Ross, mm -hmm. and the first thought was that maybe these were victims of a, of a serial killer, and of course, it didn't take the archaeologist more than about two minutes to say, no, these bones are 200 years old, Goodness, um, yeah. and... And after a, a, they had a dig, they found one grave that really seemed to match the, the story of the New England vampires, and they found many, many children's graves, children's bodies, all of whom had died of tuberculosis. This, the, and the one particular uh, really unusual burial, uh, who they, they named J.B. because that was um, the, the, the initials J.B. were found on uh, what remained of the coffin lid, that the bones had been disarranged and thrown around, the, the ribs absolutely broken into, like they were going after the heart, and then the head, the skull, had been turned downward to the ground, and the, uh, 
the arm, several bones had been formed into what looked like a skull and crossbones. Um, and wow. then a, a great big field stone had been piled on top. <laughs> so uh, it really seemed to be. And then when they did the testing on those bones, they discovered that uh, he had had TB for a long time. That he had, uh, had, had had a very bad case of it. And so presumably the people at that time would have seen this guy going around coughing and, and being all... all we were so... Um, through history, yeah. we've been very gullible about things, Faye, and... Uh, I went to Salem. I'm sure you've been to Salem. <laughs> oh, many times. And I, I really was, um, I got the blues after that because there was such incredible injustice thinking that anybody uh, who acted strange or different was a witch. So what were your thoughts about Salem? Oh, well, uh, while the Salem witch trial has, I mean, everybody knows about that. Even people who, who mm-hmm. know no other history. Uh, they come from everywhere. know that. Uh, it certainly was a dreadful thing, but it was not that unusual. There were many witch trials in Massachusetts in the years before Salem, and there were even more right here in Connecticut. Although Connecticut never had a witch hunt the size of what happened in Salem in 1692-93, we had our share of witch hunts in Hartford and Windsor and Stratford and pretty much uh, around the state except for Eastern Connecticut, we uh, never had a uh, an organized witch hunt here in Eastern Connecticut. Well, that's because we were like ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah. Well, one theory is that uh, the people that uh, because the capital at that time alternated between Hartford and New Haven, the people here hated the people in Hartford and New Haven even more than they hated the witches. Oh, no kidding! Really? <laughs> well, not. Not quite an not quite an exaggeration. Um, to, uh, they really did not have that much contact with the uh, uh, the big trials in in Hartford and New Haven. So, uh, what was it, Faye, that made people think somebody could be a witch that could harm them? I mean, what characteristics of were they looking well, for? Well, in, interestingly, and the, the same kind of thing, when, if people, people are afraid of the unknown, mm-hmm. just like today, the, if the most frightening thing is what we don't know. And so people react to that fear of the unknown in different ways. And one way is by trying to control it. And that's the story of the vampires. It's not that they thought of them as Count Dracula vampires. It's that they were trying to control a disease that they had no way of controlling. The, uh, some of the, the, the uh, vampire so-called stories um, include the idea that they would take and make a, a, a medicine out of the ashes of that burned heart or lungs and force the survivors to, to drink it. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Well, and the same thing with the witch belief. If you were living in the 17th century in New England and your preachers told you every week that Satan was out to get you and that Satan could use human agents to get you. I get it. And, you know, it would be very easy to blame any unknown happening on a witch and and some known ones. Uh, the crops were bad that year. The uh, There was an unnatural drought or what seemed like an unnatural flood. Uh, the uh, your cows died. <laughs> you know, you talk about that the 17th century, but I think in the 21st century there 
are still a percentage of people who are gullible to fall into some of that type of thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there are people there are people out there making a living removing curses from from mm-hmm. other people and who put the curse there? A witch. Always blaming the witch, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um but even those who uh, who don't believe in it as literally as the uh, people did in the 17th century, there are still many people who uh, believe in the evil eye, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, lots and lots of different cultures have the idea of someone can give you the evil eye, you know, jinx you, whatever. Is there something when you were a little girl that you were afraid of? Oh yes, I mean one. Now my way of controlling the fear was to learn more. I've always mm. figured that uh, you can always read more, you can always learn more. Well, there's some common sense in that. Yes. <laughs> uh, I was afraid of the boogeyman. I didn't even know what it was. Somebody <laughs> well, was said, "Ooh, the boogeyman is dark in there." Mm. That's that's perfect, Stu. That is perfect. That's fear of the unknown. Yeah. I always had to sleep with the lights on. Mm-hmm. Was I another thing that, that yeah. I remember. Yeah. So tell me about your books. Are they still available? Yes, I have. Um, the The book I mentioned from the '90s is kind of hard to get, and it's it's expensive. But just uh, last year, I published a shorter, shall we say, more easily uh, accessible book called "The Gothic Literature and History of New England." Secrets of the Restless Dead, mm. and uh, you can get it. I mean, you can get it at Amazon. You can have your local bookstore order it. If we had a local bookstore, you can go to Mystic, I guess. And yeah, uh, Mystic, they're very, sure. They're Bank Square Books very good about special ordering things for you. Um, and it's. Uh, I've been told that it for a, a scholarly book, it's exceptionally readable. I tried very hard to make it interesting to uh, you know to people who are not specialists, <laughs> and it's short. Another good thing about it. So, they w- would they be able to get this book or order it, or do you think some bookstores might even have it in? Or no, bookstores don't tend to uh, stock it, but they they're glad to order it. A number of a uh, number of people have have ordered it, and of course, Amazon and other online 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 sites have it, and. The, can always get it from the publisher, Anthem Press. So give me the correct title of that again. I want to make sure that I have it down. The Gothic Literature and History of New England, Secrets of the Restless Dead. Secrets of the Restless Dead. All right, yeah. with all the things that you've read, is there anything that uh, you, Fairingle, thought, man, this... this very likely happened. Do you know any where there's some stories that you can't prove that they are made up? Or I know that. Well, well, if you're interested in more, lots more about the New England vampire belief, uh, Michael Bell, who's re- the retired um, state folklorist of Rhode Island, wrote "Food for the Dead," which is. He's still, he's been working, he published that a while ago, he's still working on the sequel. He's, uh, he, he has been collecting evidence for these, uh, these vampire exhumations of bodies and all the rest of it, and 
but Food for the Dead is, is just the book. You know, I've got to get that. Have you ever thought that you've seen a ghost or anything like that? Well, the closest I came, I've never seen anything with my own eyes, but I did see several times um, apparitions on, uh, on cameras. I was oh, at yeah. the, light, what you, um, the old Lighthouse Inn before it closed and before it was renovated. Um, has had for, well, since at least the 1930s, the legend of a bride who fell down their main staircase and died. And that's been a pretty constant scene of sightings. And I did have a, I had a ghost tour group there, and we were all, you know, watching the stairs. I was telling the story. We didn't see a thing, but one of the women in the group, and this was in the really early days of digital cameras, and before people you know, went around carrying phone cameras all the time, and she was pointing her camera at the stairs, and I saw, on, as she did, on the screen of the, uh, the camera, uh, an unmistakable white apparition on the stairs with a skeletal hand on the banister. Wow. <laughs> That's a and, that's a good one. Yeah, and I can attest that the woman holding the camera could not have possibly faked it in any mm-hmm. way. She barely knew how to point the camera and press the button. I mean, it's not like now with the Photoshop and all those things. Was the apparition wearing a bridal outfit, or you couldn't tell that? You could. Well, it was a white streak. Yeah, so a, a white, white streak. Uh, well, you know, people always seem. Go, they, they say ghosts wear sheets. They see they see a, a mm. white streak, and, and in your mind it could become a bridal gown, or it could become a sheet, or it could become a shroud. And certainly the uh, the research, those paranormal researchers who talk about energy states and all kinds of more sort of scientific things say that uh, yeah, what you're seeing is uh, is an energy. It's a flash of energy of some kind. Yeah, well, what about that skeletal hand? <laughs> Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So um, if you had a choice of one horror film, which would it be? Um, 1963, The Haunting. Mm. The, Rob, uh, yeah, Robert Weiss, um, based on Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. Not the remake, which was over the top, and at some time it was so gory it was funny by the end. That is, it's a black and white movie, and and I rewatched it not too long ago, and it is still really scary. The and haunting. Course, I the yeah the haunting, and I also read. I also believe that it's based on the the number one haunted house novel ever. No, I want to see that. I want to yeah. see that they. You've seen it on regular TV lately, or no, no? no you know the black and white movie. They don't play all that many. On, I know. I go on for that TV, but it's pretty easily uh, gotten on you know any of the, uh, the either the streaming services or renting it. Or Faye Ringel, it's always fun talking with you. Can you leave us with a uh, something uh, scary that you've heard recently, <laughs> or some area? If there's one area in the Norwich community, Norwich uh, mystic. Stone and community say that maybe the number one place where you you're more apt to get some kind of a ghostly feeling. Wow, that's a hard hard choice to make. Um, 
But I will say that uh, Norwich was the home to uh, a very famous medium in the 19th century. And mm-hmm. it happens that tonight there's going to be a uh, uh, slideshow and lecture about him. And that was a guy named Daniel Douglas Hume. And Daniel Douglas Hume, even though nobody knows about him today, grew up in Norwich, had his first uh, manifestations here, and then moved to Manchester and Hartford, where he met Mark Twain, and he conducted seances for him, and then he went to Europe and was famous all over the world. And he was uh, grew up in Greenville, in fact. And uh, the, uh, the lecture is tonight at the Park Congregational Church, and it's being presented by the city historian, Dale Plummer. Oh, my, um, this is good. I'm glad I asked that. Uh, yeah. Park Congregational Church, that's going to be tonight, yeah. a slideshow. Yeah, and, you know, all about, all about Daniel Douglas Hume, the uh, physical medium who could raise tables and, and could levitate himself to the ceiling, and, uh, who was one of the very few, um, he was investigated and not debunked. Not debunked. Not debunked. <laughs> so, what time is that going to be, Faye? Uh, oh, let me look it up. It's usually seven or eight, or in that category. Yeah, it's. Uh, Park, con- Park Congregational Church. Now, will these slides? Are we going to see him floating in the air, or what are these slides going to show? <laughs> nope. Seven o'clock um, in the church. Seven o'clock in the church parlor. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, uh, but there are there there are drawings. There were no photographs of uh, mm-hmm. of that levitation, but there are drawings. Uh, well, yeah, we love that yeah. stuff. I don't know if we really realized it was real. We could love it as much, but um, there's always a part of us saying, mm, "There's something more going on," and uh, keeps us mm-hmm. interested. Well, thank you, my, yeah. my friend. Anything else uh, we need to know about? Uh, no, I think that's about it for now. Lots of, oh, um, if you're interested in current uh, ghost hunting, the Leffingwell House Museum is hosting a mm-hmm. uh, uh, a paranormal investigation society on Saturday night, the Arrowhead Paranormal Investigations. And okay. They're going to do a, a, a ghost hunt right there in the, uh, at, the, mm-hmm. uh, at the Leffingwell House Museum. Do you get a prize if you find a ghost? I don't know. Could be. They, yeah. We've been promoting that. I forgot. Yeah, that's really coming up. And yeah. is that, uh, when is that, tonight? Um, Saturday. Saturday, Saturday, okay. Saturday's a good night for ghosts, anyway. It seems too good. <laughs> yeah. Well, well it uh, is. Oh, and how could I forget? Downtown Norwich is having a great Halloween uh, kind of fun night on Saturday called uh, the Norwich. W-I-T-E. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, the the Norwich str- Halloween strut, <laughs> and that's going to be uh, really something. From what I hear about that, they've had it in the past. I think it's really exceptional. Yeah, this is the second year they did it last year, mm-hmm. and they're going to have everything from modern day uh, witch dancers, women dressed up as as witches and dancing there to. Uh, all kinds of uh, uh, you know food trucks and vendors and and uh, Halloween attractions and you know just general uh, trick or treating all over the place. Uh, lots and lots of uh, businesses and or and in- individuals downtown giving out candy. And we can't forget that once there was a zombie movie filmed in Norwich. Oh yes, yes. 
remains. They're, they're more than call. the Rose of New England, where the uh, zombie Rose of New England, <laughs> whatever. I yes. It, it's funny because remains was originally set in Reno, Nevada. And since it was a Connecticut um, uh, movie-making outfit, they moved the setting here, and they still called it Reno. And they filmed in warehouses and abandoned factories, and mm-hmm. right in the center of Franklin Square. Can, uh, well, it didn't win an Academy Award, but it was all ours. Mm-hmm, for sure. So the, uh, the haunted history at Leffingwell House Museum is Friday night and Saturday night, lots of different um, time slots mm-hmm. for people, and uh, that one does cost money. <laughs> and Saturday is the Norwich celebration, Norwich. Yeah, and there'll be a couple of streets closed off so that uh, you know kids can walk safely around and I know that, in fact, the gallery at the Norwich Arts Center will be handing out candy and will be open for anyone who wants to take a look at the October spooky art that's on display. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Faye. Keep in touch with us. We don't want to miss anything. Well, I certainly will, and it's always a pleasure talking to you, Stu. It's been many, many years. I know, it's, and it, it's always fun. Take care of yourself and uh, keep in touch. Yes. Thanks, Thank Faye. You. Bye now. Faye Ringel. Boy, is she interesting, huh? Her books and her stories. And uh, I heard some of the stories. I may have to take my teddy bear to bed tonight. I don't know. A little scary there.